37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up? Welcome, everybody. This is episode 230 of Pixelated Paranormal. And this time, it really is episode 230. Now, with me, as always, of course, is Presto. What's going on, everybody? And returning once again from Parts Unknown, we've got Big Steven. What up? Who's chugging chocolate milk. Ugh, gross. Not Corey. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) He loves it. Fuck Corey. <laughs> oh, Steve, it's good to have you back, man. I feel like we got the band back together For once sure. again. It's been a while. And uh yeah, glad really you guys happens. holding it down. Shout out to our web host Mark. It's awesome putting in the work. And thanks for uh doing what you guys do, holding it down while I'm away doing mostly work and exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But oddly enough, we're going to tie your profession into today's episode. Uh, I'm not sure what it's going to be called yet. Right now it's called uh, Death Drivers, I think, or Death Driving. Skirt. But anyway, um, at the second half of the episode, or really probably the first quarter, second quarter, uh, we're going to actually interview you, Steve, about your profession and just some of the uh, you know pitfalls and follies that have come along the way. But first, before we talk about what you do, I wanted to do a little brief dive into the history of the hearse itself. So we'll skip the pleasantries and just dive in. Now this comes from um, talkdeath.com, which I've summarized, but they have a lot of really great articles about just overall topics of death. So why do we call it a hearse, first of all, folks? Well, a hearse, as we know, is a vehicle used to carry coffins. The name itself is derived through the French word hearse and the Latin word herpex, which to me makes it sound like a horse with an STD. Mmm, goo. (laughs) But actually, the word herpex means harrow, a farming tool similar to a rake or a pot. Could be a hoe. (laughs) (laughs) And there you go. Spoiler alert. This episode is about Stephen being a hoe. Thieves in his hoe no. wagon. <laughs> These are farming tools similar to rakes or poffs. Poffs, I don't know how the fuck to pronounce that. A po. A puff. So how do we go from harrows to hearses? Well, around the time this etymological evolution took place, coffins were topped with a spike metal framework, which would hold a candle. And it's commonly believed that because these spikes resembled that of a harrow, the word grew to refer a vehicle that transports the dead. And in a death care industry, it's more commonly referred to as a funeral coach, a title that's a bit more formal and a little less spooky. So essentially, the coffin with all its framework looked a lot like farming tools. Anyway, that out of the way. So when we jump into the history of hearses, we gotta go all the way back to the 16th century or even before that. Back in the 1500s, we didn't have a great motorized Cadillac XTS that we have today. Instead, we had little modest metal carts called beers. 
which would support the weight of a coffin, which made it a little easier to transport the deceased from one place to another. Shortly after that, we entered the 17th century, and sometime in the 1600s, we evolved to the hand-pulled iron coffin cart called beers into horse-drawn carriages, which would then carry our deceased with a little more ease. The horse-drawn carriages had built-in frames that would prevent the coffin from slipping around and more ornate designs making the final trip into the afterlife a little more dignified. These would often have glass at the side so you could actually see the dead body that was there on its way to the graveyard, just to make sure nobody was still alive trying to escape the final ride. Now, ultimately, these earlier horse-drawn hearses were only for the incredibly wealthy, as we common folks would be stuck using more modest wooden beers and wooden carts to carry our dead to their final resting places. Fast forward again to the 1800s, and Victorian design had inspired more elaborate horse-drawn hearses, and the design becomes more elaborate with heavy influences from Victorian style of mourning. The craftsmanship was incredible, and each hearse was a work of art. Hearses were draped with heavy velvet curtains and carved with images of angels and cherubs and doves, and even more personalized decorations for those who could afford it. So as we can tell, the industry of death is all about that money. Mm -hmm. The largest hearse ever made in this area was in 1895. It was built by a Czech master craftsman named Vaclav Brosik. It was over four meters high, six and a half meters long, and weighed almost three tons. This thing was so massive, it took eight horses just to pull it. Now, in North America, the hearses began to become a bit more less dramatic, still ornate with drapery, but with simpler carvings. This also meant they could be manufactured faster, easier, and a little cheaper, and created more access to the common man. The company called Crane Breed & Company of Cincinnati began producing metal caskets with accompanying horse-drawn hearses. Hearses would remain horse-drawn until the first decade of the 20th century, with the exception of the creation of what's known as a funeral train. Funeral trains were pretty neat. Basically, it's a train that carried not only the bodies of the deceased, but the parties and families of mourners who had come to attend the funeral service. You could literally just reserve a train to take you and your family and your loved one and have a funeral really wherever you wanted. Different classes were available for both the living and the dead, and more expensive first-class tickets would also provide a more ornate coffin and greater care for the body during transit. Can you imagine the economy class? It's like a box, like a, <laughs> yeah. Literally a wooden box, like not even shaped like a casket, just like here. And it's got twine around it. <laughs> I'm just picturing Weekend at Bernie's. Like you're sitting there eating your like sandwich and your dead <laughs> yeah, uncle's just give you... next to you. <laughs> yeah, it takes up too much room to lie them flat, so they just like prop them up in a seat. Jesus. Three, like literally three to a seat, and then one draping over the the leg, the legs. Yeah, <laughs> they put the coffin between everybody and just put a tablecloth over it. Yeah. And here's where you eat. <laughs> I just like how it said basically: the more money you spend, the better care of the body. Like, did they just grab the arms and legs and go one, two, three, and just heave them into like a giant cart in the back of the train if you can't afford it? 
Well, let's fast forward to the 20th century, folks. The first motorized hearses were introduced in the U.S. in the early 1900s. On May 1, 1908, the General Vehicle Company of New York built its first electric hearse. Following year, Crane and Breed introduced the first motorized mass-produced funeral coach and dubbed it the Auto Hearse. The hearse was inspired by their horse-drawn counterparts and originally were bulky, square, with giant back ends. They had a four-cylinder engine generating 30 horsepower and with a three-speed transmission, real weir... <laughs> Man, I sound like Rain Wilson on Cooties. Real rear, rear, rear. rear wheel drive, chain-driven, and went a whopping 30 miles Skirt. an hour. We're going to get you there and get you fast. Damn, you should look this up. It looks pretty tight. Yeah, I'm going to include some pretty awesome photos of all these different coaches uh, in the Instagram and Facebook. The 1929 looks amazing. That's some, yeah, that's some spooky shit right there. <laughs> Look at that motherfucker. <laughs> it is right before the Art Deco uh, period as well, man. So you know it's yeah. very macabre. Straight out of fucking Tim Burton. And by the 1920s, the gas-powered engines became more popular to the general public, and funeral directors realized they could have more funerals in a day if they had a motorized vehicle. It was also during this decade that the three-way hearse were introduced, which allowed the table in the back to rotate like a lazy Susan so the coffin could be loaded and unloaded from either side or through the back. Kind of like a turntable record player for coffins, or, if you like, spin the bottle for necrophiliacs. Ooh. <laughs> Cadillac and Lincoln are among the most popular hearse donor vehicles in the United States. The Cadillac commercial chassis is the most popular type that's ever been used by coach builders, but was discontinued in 2019. And of course, as time and humans both progress, we now have electric hearses available to funeral homes. And of course, it's not a paranormal podcast unless we at least mention the most famous hearse from all time. Everybody can relax. I found the car. Need some suspension work and shocks and uh, brakes, brake pads, lining, steering box, transmission, rear end. How much? Only 4800 Maybe new rings, also mufflers, a little wiring. The Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters, which was a 1959 Cadillac. Here we go. Stephen, we all like to close our eyes at this point and imagine you driving through the main streets of Wichita in an old 59 <laughs> black Cadillac hearse. Dude, that'd be so sick. <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't drive hearses. I've never, well, I've driven one hearse, which is a funny right, story. Right. Uh, it was probably back 2009, 10 maybe, before I moved to Wichita. I went to, um, I saw an ad on Facebook for, or not Facebook, hell, I think it might be before that, maybe MySpace, I don't know. Anyways, there was a hearse that had popped up in Leon, Kansas, and Leon is probably like, what, 20 minutes away from El Dorado? Yeah, it's about 20, 30 miles away. Yeah, so like, uh, we drive down there, and I'm like, I'm real stoked to see this, and the guy did, the guy had like one picture, but it was like dusty and whatever. So I get there, and he's got it all pulled out, and this thing has like been stripped in the inside, there's no seats. Uh, you can see, like, the actual metal and then, like, f holes were in the ground. It was a complete piece of shit. But I did run and drive, so I drove it real quick, uh, like, just because I wanted mm -hmm. to drive it. <laughs> I wasn't going to buy it. I was just like, let me drive this thing. He's like, okay, cool. 
and uh, drove that. So that was fun. And then when we got back, I was like, so like, I was just, I was not interested. And I was like, how much are we asking for this? He's like, well, I was thinking about $500. <laughs> and then I was like, well, what, can you tell me about it? He's like, he's like, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I used to do meth and I used to cook meth out of the back of that, but I don't Fuck. do that no more. So I'm just selling it because I don't want, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, man, I'll see you later. <laughs> well, see you later. Killer boots, man. Yeah. It was so weird. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, that was, uh, oh. so I've never driven a hearse. Uh, we have a couple of funeral homes that work, we work with that, uh, they have some pretty nice ones, everything from the really new ones. And one of them has like, I think one from either the early nineties or late eighties. That looks pretty cool. That's fucking awesome. But so what do you drive if you don't drive a hearse? Yeah. That's the, that's the biggest thing is that people, uh, the misconception is, um, that like when someone passes away and they have to be picked up from a morgue, corner, home, Walmart. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, the highway, anything. Uh, they're always picked up by some by a funeral home or a, a mortuary service. And they're always, majority of the time, either in Dodge Caravans or uh, Tahoe, Yukon, stuff like That's that. That's wild. They take out the back seats, the stove or the stowed seats, put it down, and they put this uh, hard board on there with you know some places have rollers and like these like little fasteners you so you can put your gurney slash cot in there right. and stuff like that. So yeah, but it's it's always it's always um, minivan all the time, <clears throat> and still to this day, every time we go to a call um, where the person doesn't have hospice care, when you're in hospice care, which is a lot of the calls. Um, the family's already been told what's what the step yeah. is. This is who's coming. This is the vehicle they're going to put the person in. Something like that. But every once in a while, you go to a call where you know it's like like a police call or something like that, um, and the, the family is fully expecting you to be there in a hearse. And when you pull up in a minivan, they are extremely confused. <laughs> right? Are you taking yeah. grandma grocery shopping? What's going on? Or they think you drive slow in school zones. If you catch my drift. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't want that. Oh, damn. Now, before we get really any farther in this episode, we do want to give a trigger warning. Um, I don't know exactly what your answers will be. We kind of prepared a couple questions, and I'm sure you'll have some other stories to share. Yeah. Um, we've had a few people kind of write in about, you know, the recent episodes about death, um, lots of positivity, but also, you know, some people, um, it did bring up some, you know, memories of the past, you know, losing loved ones and stuff like that. So we really ought to put a uh, trigger warning or just a warning in general on this episode at this point. Um, some of the stuff we talk about could be a little triggering. Some of the stories um, could be a little uncomfortable. And we make bad jokes all the time on this podcast. That's a, a way of dealing with trauma and uncomfortable situations. So mm -hmm. I'm sure we will be making light in certain situations. It is not out of disrespect. It is just out of awkwardness and just, you know, dealing with the subject matter. And maybe you'll get into that a little more, Steve, um, with your personal experiences. Yeah. And that's to feed off what Sean's saying is that um, when you work in this job, you see, I mean, I've already, I'm, okay, first off, tomorrow's my one year anniversary at the job. No shit, really? Um, wow. Yeah. I've, I've. Well, happy one year anniversary, brother. Right. Yeah. Also, Preston, happy birthday, buddy. I should have mentioned that at the top. 
<laughs> I am an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. F- fuck you, it's too late. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Uh, technically, it's early, buddy, because you don't have a birthday for about another two years. Yeah. Touche. <laughs> Touche. We're all assholes. <laughs> yeah. um, but to, but to, again, with my job, you know, I we we tried to tally it up. It's kind of mm-hmm. hard to tally it up. Probably over seventeen hundred bodies that I've come in contact with in, in one year. One year. Yeah, because we're a mortuary transport service, so we work with Mm -hmm. several funeral homes. We don't do funerals. We don't do meeting with the families after the fact, all that type of stuff. So we go there, pick it up, take it to where it needs to go. Pick it up, get it embalmed. Pick it up, take it to the crematory, et cetera. So, like, yeah, it's a lot lot of bodies. (laughs) I mean, you're literally a death driver, essentially. Yeah. What's what's the full, like, professional title of what you do? First call, uh, death call. Uh, death call. Okay. First, first call. Death call. Driver. Okay. My people don't say death call because it sounds grimy, but uh, so f- f- like first call because you're like that's the first people that come in contact with the body and the family and stuff oh, like that. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so yeah. So so with that that many individuals picking them up, uh, coming in contact with, I don't remember names. I don't remember face, sure, sure. faces. I don't, I mean, there's certain things that I'm going to talk about that are, you'll know why they stick with me, but like, if I laugh about it, if I seem insensitive about it, it's nothing to the individual. It's nothing to family. I couldn't even tell you their name if I wanted to, because I don't remember. Um, Because when you are around death and body so Mm -hmm. often, it's all becomes a blur. Yeah, sure. It's just another, it's just another, it's, it's really weird how your brain comes accustomed to it. Um, so just wanted to say that straight off the bat, like some of the stuff I talk about, it could be uncomfortable. Everybody knows on this podcast, I'm, I'm kind of more non-filterish mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So if I say something that, that offends somebody, I apologize, but like, this is the real world. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So there you go. So what essentially got you started in the business of death itself then? Well, for 15 years, well, about if 15 years, if not 16, um, I worked in a field with developmentally and intellectually disabled mm-hmm. adults. During that time, 15 years is a long time. And in that time, politics happened and a lot of changes happened to everything. Um, it became apparent to me that the reasons why I got into that field are becoming less and less a thing. Um and the burnout started to sit in mm-hmm. really bad. And not only just with job, but like life as well. Yeah. On the brink of suicide every other week. Um, you know, completely miserable and needed to make a change of work and being completely defeated from the job loss and the opportunity that I had before. Uh, I was, I was continuously trying to get a job, find something else. And I was getting so tired of never getting callbacks or going to an interview and never getting anything. Um, and so I deleted all, I deleted my indeed profile, said, fuck that LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then on Facebook, it was the only thing that I hadn't went in. I think it's hard to delete it. Facebook, of (laughs) course, uh, it's hard to delete your job profile or whatever. So it was like giving me all these, it was like, here's a job recommendation. And I saw mortuary transport driver. And I'm like, well, that sounds cool. (laughs) Like being a car, don't have to talk to people because. They're dead. I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> right. So 
I emailed or I did a little, I, they have your like pro, you know, your resume yeah. on there. So I got to hit that. I said, Hey, I have no experience in this, in this field. Sounds interesting. Give me a call. And within like 30 minutes, um, the owner, the owner had messaged me on Facebook and we talked and they invited me down to mm-hmm. go to an interview. <laughs> the interview was extremely hilarious. Um, we meet at this big building un, it's like a unmarked, <laughs> unmarked building. Cause our job is our crematory isn't open to the public. So we work strictly with funeral homes. Um, so I go to this, this building and it's awesome. And I get to see how the crematory retorts work, which retort is another word for furnace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, got to see you know the cooler storage at that time that was in march of last year it was a big time for covid deaths and um just deaths in general with the boomer generation uh so they had they had had to get another storage container like the like a like a like a storage locker like the big metal ones like on a ship yeah yeah they converted it into a cooler and that was we still had bodies in there at that point, so it was really mm-hmm. backed up. So part of the interview is like you get to be around bodies, you get to see an embalming if they have one available, stuff like that, uh, just to see how you act, kind of like get a get a just observe how I re- mm-hmm. respond, um, which really didn't bother me at the time when I got the interview because like I understand and I even understand way more now because I've been around people that have interviewed maybe even worked and the you always know when someone's off <laughs> so <laughs> right, that's all i'll right. say uh but you know it's it, it from going from one job miserable like literally dead mm-hmm. no pun intended like it's, it's terrible um and then instantly going into this field where i had never done anything in i'm lazy I'm overweight. I'm uh, now I have lost weight. I can lift a lot. Uh, <laughs> right, right. I'm always on, always on my feet. All you know, always moving. Like it's it's improved all these aspects mm-hmm. of my life. My my uh, still have my you know I still have my dark days and shit sure. like that. But like I, it just it's completely changed my life. And it's weird that something around death can 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 bring life back to yeah, you. You know yeah. what I mean. And, uh, and luckily I've been blessed with a really, really awesome team. It's a really small team and, uh, you know, they're awesome. We got a bonus Christmas. Uh, I, unfortunately, you know, you have to dress up, you know, I can't be going to, I can't be going to fucking death call with pixelated paranormal shirt on, you know what I mean? Like, so I have to, (laughs) or could you maybe drop a business card on your way out? It happened to fall out. Uh, so we have to wear like, you know, dress up shirts or if we're doing a delivery, a polo, you know, stuff like that. So like I, I dress better, you know, I'm probably more dress clothes more than I am my regular clothes. Right. And, right. Uh, it's just, it's just crazy. And, and, you know, we had to wear these like nice dress shoes. Well, if anybody ever wears dress shoes on an average normal basis it sucks because they're uncomfortable as shit. Yeah. Shout out to the women out there that can handle that shit. It's ridiculous. Uh, or men or whoever else is wearing these shoes that just sucks. Uh, yeah. so I told my boss, you know, like, Hey, I went to my doctor and, uh, either, you know, I'm going to have to get some new shoes and I ain't gonna be able to wear these dress shoes no more. And they were like immediately empathetic, empathetic about it. Like they were like, yo, mm-hmm. like, what do you need? And then I was like, well, they, they told me, give me some websites. And so I sent them a link and then 
they're like, it'll be here on Friday. Like, what? <laughs> and these were not yeah. cheap, like, at all. Ortho shoes are not. Um, so, yeah, that was cool. Like, it's just, it's cool to be a part of a very small group. That's a good thing and a, a tough thing. Because mm-hmm. when you're that small, you know, uh, the rules kind of go out the window, so, so to speak. Sure. Of, like, being politically correct. And, you know, everybody knows everybody. So we bust each other's balls, like, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which which is fun, but it can also cause, you know, a little bit of animosity, drama sometimes, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. with this job, yeah, there's so much stress uh, because of your lack of sleep. What you're seeing, you have to comp- compartmentalize it. You have to block it out, you know, stuff like that. So Sure, man. Sure. But we'll get into that in a bit. Um, but, yeah, that's what got me started in the business. And uh, since then, I've learned a lot. Uh, it's it, it's crazy. I remember when you got the job, um, we were on the phone just kind of chatting, you know, because like you said, like it was, it was a pretty rough patch and you were just day by day, you know, rolling with the punches and whatnot. And I don't remember if you were on the phone with me when they called you to schedule the interview or you called me after the interview got scheduled. But I remember you just saying like, dude, I applied for a job today. Um, it's going to be for mortuary delivery, like driving dead bodies to destinations and, and picking them up. And you're just like, fuck it. I mean, what else do I have to offer? I mean, what else, what else, what other offers do I have right now for jobs? Yeah. And I just remember us talking like, dude, I mean, why not fucking go for it? And it really has been such a positive light, you know, an otherwise pretty dark time, man. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm super stoked. It's nice because you're, everyone complains about their job, but I think the positive aspects you talk about a hell of a lot more and there's a lot more of them than the negative parts. So I'm really stoked. For yeah. Them, so, and with, and with it being, um, the, the owners have been in the business a long time, but they, their own owned business, it's still relatively new in a business sense. Yeah. So they're learning. Um, plus right now it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, not to mention the yeah. job market, people not wanting to work, but like the overabundance of death. And I'm going to say this right now, like not to get into COVID talk, it's not COVID bodies. It's the boomers. People have to understand the baby boom generation was a, and is a fucking thing. And they are passing away at an alarming rate. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a boom, it's a boom. Yeah. And they're all getting to that age where they're passing and there's nothing wrong with that. It's life and death. It's going to happen to everybody. Dad was a baby boomer, and he was born in uh, 1946. And if you mm-hmm. look at the baby boom generation, um, it was the babies born shortly before World War II and the amount of babies born after World War II. And so when Dad died, he was 73, 74. Mm-hmm. So that means you have a whole generation, like a big chunk of America – that's now like 72 to mm-hmm. 80, 81. Like, that's a crap ton of people. Like, even back then, like, families were, there were still a lot of farming communities and farming families. Mm-hmm. So they're having, you know, five, eight, seven, you know, ten kids. kids. Whereas now, like, I mean, I have my stepdaughter and I have my son. That's the extent of her. Not to mention during that. During that time, coming back from World War II, 
um, you know, everybody's in a bomb ass mood. Yeah. Like, yeah, every we won, we saved the day. Everybody's fucking. Everybody's partying. Yeah, uh, the economy's awesome. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So like, they're like, fuck yeah, we're rich. We're fucking. Let's get some yeah. kids. Like, like, you know, like let let's buy that damn car that's got eight <laughs> seats. <Yeah. laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. And then yeah, like you said, it's it, it's happening. Yeah. And and people aren't living. To the eight, like I mean, I pick up people that I'm like, well, you know, I, I read their chart, ninety eight, ninety nine, hundred and three. Like I'm like, what yeah. the hell? Uh, but people these days they don't live that long because of the things we eat, ingest, do stuff like that. I think you know, and breathe in, you know, sure. everything. I had an interesting conversation earlier today um, with a professional um, healthcare provider, and she was telling me how. Alarmingly, a lot of your millennials, it's estimated, may have a shorter lifespan than, you know, 100% our parents. And I, I, it's hard for me to keep track, man. We're like, what? We're Gen Xers, Gen Zers. I don't know. But like people our age, we will probably live, you know, it's estimated to be around the, you know, 80s. Your millennials right now, um, they're estimated to be maybe having a mortality age of around 65, 70. Because of simply the amount of allergies, you know, back when I was a kid, we didn't have gluten. What's gluten sensitivity? Yeah. But like there's a... <laughs> glutes. Yeah. All the glutes. There's a lot of these sensitivities we're having. And like, to be honest, all jokes aside, we either didn't have a label for it or it wasn't a thing back when our parents were kids. Now, ironically, uh, the people that are parents, the people who are our parents' age might be the ones who created all that shit too by cutting corners, getting cheaper ingredients, and demanding higher profits at lower costs, that kind of stuff. But you heard it's it's interesting. Well and you, you know what's funny about that you mentioned that? Um so I didn't really notice it growing up as a kid, but now that we're taking care of mom and we're back in this house, like I don't know how you guys do things, but let's say I cook dinner and the minute I cook dinner and we eat it and we have whatever's left over, like, like I immediately put it in the fridge. I cover it up. I put it in like a Tupperware container. Uh-huh. Mom won't. It's cooked. So, I mean, she'll leave it out on the counter. It's fine. It's cooked. Uh, like with her, Gosh. it's like something's expired and she's like. Oh, honey, it's got a shelf life. It, that's more just like a... That's a sell-by uh, date, know, Preston. Uh, a, 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 yeah, it's just a suggestion. suggestion. <laughs> just, you know, you should always check it, but it's fine. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, Mom, what the, the fuck? Do you have, like, the stomach of, of like, uh, you, you know, like... It's just amazing. Like, she's got, like, an iron gut that nothing affects her. And then I think, like... You know, my kids, look, they eat one thing that, like, the milk spoiled or whatever, and they're, like, in the bathroom shitting for five days. And... <laughs> they eat the wrong kind of fucking so, cheese nips. And, uh... Yeah. We're, we're dying. And then mom's sitting there like, ah, it's, it's been on the counter for five days, you pussy. Yeah. It's fine. Eat it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, I took food safety and stuff like that. Normally, we put stuff in Tupperwares. I let it sit out for a little while, an hour or two to kind of hit, you know, room temperature. Then I shove it in the fridge. But I will roll the dice on a fucking pan of chili I leave out any and every time. Like, we'll make chili uh, because of Shayla's schedule. Sometimes we don't eat until like 8.30 or 9. There was a night here a while back where she made a giant pot of chili and we sit down to eat it. So it came off the burner at 9 o'clock. 
We ate that shit. I literally came in here, recorded an episode. Episode ran late. My instructions were, before you go to bed, put the chili in the fridge. And I woke up that morning at about 5 in the morning and went in the kitchen and son of a bitch, the fucking chili is still sitting out. Now, mind you, my kitchen's probably the coldest room in the house and it was like 3 degrees outside. The chili was pretty fucking cold to the touch. I rolled the dice on that shit, put it in the fridge, and uh, ate chili the rest of the week and didn't keel over, didn't die. Shayla wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole because she's like, nope, I am not going to get the shits because you're an idiot and let the chili out. The chili. (laughs) And I wasn't about to waste fucking $25 worth of ingredients after making chili, so. Well, Steve, let's move on and let us know what's the funniest thing that's happened to you so far in this year in your profession. So I'm just going to tell you some stories. Um, cause it's hard to like, it's hard to tell like what's funny cause <laughs> yeah, true, something true. that's funny to me, probably not to somebody else. So I'll just, uh, and, and like I said, in this job, you got to have a sense of humor. Uh, and that's the funny thing is, is that you'll go to some of these funeral homes and you'll see somebody who like, you know, uh, I'm stereotyping this person, trying to size them up, whatever. And I'm like, this person's, you know, probably gotta stick up their ass. You know, they're, you know, hardcore. They've been in this field a long time. And then like, then they say something, you're like, whoa. Okay, you're hilarious. Like I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, you know, stuff right, stuff like that. Right. So it's and refreshing. real quick, let me say this. You don't just service the Wichita area. So to give people some anonymity, these stories aren't just about people in the city we live in. This oh, is yeah. all over, you know. Yeah, I've been all Kansas, over. I've been so. all yeah, over yeah. the state. Okay. Yeah. And uh go to Kansas City all the time. So yeah, it's it it's everywhere. So I won't, like I said, I won't be naming no names, no funeral homes, nothing yeah. like that. So it's just completely, you know, uh, anonymous shit, like you know. So, uh, anyways, um, during during this time when you're working, you come in contact with a lot of cultures, different cultures, a lot of different mm-hmm. walks of life. Another perk of the job, because I like people, so I like learning about that type of stuff. Um, and what better way to see somebody's culture than how they handle their person passing on yeah um the i don't want to say what ethnicity they are Mm -hmm. but like uh people that practice the buddhist monk uh religion um it's common thing that um when they pass away they'll go there they'll the, the head monk will do this chant thing and it's like a honorary thing well when the body leaves the hospice care, like either the morgue or wherever it's traveling to, to its final destination, there's this little red box, maroon box, and it has this this chant in there. And uh, I don't know what they're saying. I, I can't mimic it or anything like that, but it's very faint, but um, they place it right by the person's head or on their chest, and then they transport with that. So... Uh, it was one of the first times I picked up some of that faith and I picked them up from a hospital. Like every other call, I walked in there, got the body, got it on my cot, walked to the van. I get in the van and like check out my phone and I didn't even start the car, the van yet. And I started hearing this sound and I was like, what is that? I thought it was my phone. So I was like, no, nothing's <laughs> on. And then I was like, oh, it must be something outside or something. So I start driving and then all of a sudden I keep hearing it. I'm like, what is that sound? And then, uh, 
And then when I get back, I'm like, guys, I'm hearing the sound. And then they, that's when they let me know about that. The monk box is what we call it. But it's just, it was just so hilarious that uh, it just caught me off guard. And I was like, what the hell? So, <laughs> so wait, like um, the box is like, it's got a speaker in it or what? Like it's emitting a sound? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the size of like one of them. Like, remember the hit clip things in the 90s? Remember the like, oh, clip yeah, things? You yeah, get them like yeah, little yeah. cards you put in there. It's got a single on it. <laughs> yeah, something kind of like that. Um. Another funny thing is, is uh, just gas, like not like shit gas uh-huh. or burping gas, but like just the gases in a body uh, can cause sounds from the, from a person. So every once in a while, hearing a sound while you're driving when it's silent and uh, you're like, oh, like that. And then you laugh about it because you're like, <laughs> um, ghost farts. These are two calls that I've done that I think are hilarious. Um, probably would creep people out. But I just think it's it's hilarious because I'm like, man, you see all walks uh-huh. of life. Got a call uh, to a, a, a surrounding town for where close to Wichita, and it was a police call. Police call is where the police are on the scene. That doesn't mean it's violent. Doesn't mean it's anything bad. It's person could have had a heart attack and they're on the floor after paramedics mm-hmm. couldn't revive them. Um, they had. I mean, anything that wouldn't be like anything suspect. So uh, because the coroner, if anything's sus- suspectful, like if a teenager passes away, then obviously that's not normal. Something's off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Autopsy. Uh, anything violent. Autopsy. Like stuff like that. But if it's just like um, sometimes ODs are not are, are cop calls. If a person has history of mental illness, drug use, um these towns can be small. Mm-hmm. You know a lot of people. The cops know this person or people. And so them calls are sometimes kind of weird because you, the cops will know the person and then they're they're callous. They're careless with it. Yeah. Um, they're tired of it. So sure, sure. it's like a relief to them. Um, this was one of those cases. I get there. I could tell instantly by the vibe that this cop was relieved. <laughs> that this person had was no longer on sure, this earth. Sure. And, um, you know, but I didn't question, I wasn't going to get into all that, but yeah, so I go in, go into this house and I'm very observant when I go into houses. Um, one's for safety. The other one is for, um, measuring. Cause you got to like, you know, is the cock going to fit in here? Are we gonna have to do a carry stuff like that? Yeah. Um, this individual had clearly OD'd and his house was interesting to say the least. And we go into this room and, you know, I'm all, like I said, my eyes are like a hawk and I'm going everywhere. I'm looking at everything. And I noticed that he's got this, de- they have, the whole house is in disarray. There's one desk in there that's perfectly, like it's perfect. It's got a little, you know, it's got some nice paint on it. It's got a little stack of DVDs. It's got a little notebook and it's like all symmetrical and everything. I'm like, this is so awkward. Like what, this is so out of place. And so uh, as we're getting the body, you know, where my coworkers getting some out of the van, like I'm like looking at this and, and I, I don't touch anything. I just look. And this guy was a, um, a rapper mm-hmm. or so he thought um, the stereotype of like being obsessed with like eight mile and rapping in the mirror. Like, yeah, all mm-hmm. that. And I was just laughing because these lyrics were the most funniest things ever. And I'm not going to repeat it because it's very, very, very bad. And uh, I just thought it was was crazy because then once I seen it, 
I chuckled and my coworker's like, what? And I, and I was like, look at that paper over there. He, he's a rapper. And he looked at it and he's like, dude, this is crazy. And then the cop comes in and the cop's like, uh, what, what, uh, what's going on? And we're like, Oh, we just seen some of this guy's lyrics. He's like, he's like, you found him. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, what do you mean we found him? And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, everybody's been wondering like, what is rap? What, what is raps are like? Oh no. And I'm like, well, you didn't investigate very fucking well. It's right here on this awkwardly looking desk. <laughs> <in> the- <laughs> it was just so, it was so, it was oh, so wow. awkward. But, uh, so that's, and it's kind of funny. It's fun. Like I said, funny to me. Um, yeah. Now, now did the cop grab the book and start reading the lyrics? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Cop. Yeah. Cops are like, I mean, hey, cops yeah. are people too. All these uh, first responders, you for sure. All that. They're all people, man. We're all morbidly curious. Yeah. When you're on a call, like I come in contact with a lot of first responders and the majority mm-hmm. of them are pretty mm-hmm. awesome. But shout out to first responders. Y'all are awesome. And yeah, sometimes the calls can get pretty hilarious when you work around people that work yeah. in that field. You know, um, We've got a guy yeah. and um, I should say um, a couple that we met and they were telling Preston and I stories of being first responders. One's a paramedic and one's a firefighter. And they're like, yeah, we went to this call and this guy was a cat hoarder and went inside the house and uh, basically the cats had eaten him after he passed away. And I think we told the story already, but generally if you have a pet and the pet eats you after you pass away, you're going to have to put the animal down because, you know, that's just taboo or whatever. Or It's got that taste. Yeah, some people say they get a taste and it changes, you know, their brains a little bit. And any whoozle, this guy said that, you know, he went to the house, went inside and all these cats and all these cats. And we have, of course, the doors are open because we got to carry the bodies out and uh, find out the cats ate this guy's face, his genitals, all the gooey bits. And his partner on the scene that day was deathly, deathly afraid of cats, like a full on like phobia. And they're just like talking about how they're going to get the body out. He's kind of, you know, an overweight fellow. And all of a sudden one of the other responders is like, fuck uh guys we left the front door open and a couple of the cats got out and then you know the police and stuff are like you guys have to go find those cat the cats we can't have you know all joking aside um people eating cats roaming the streets and he said his partner is like fuck that nope i'm not fucking going after that cats are already fucking cats eat people fuck that i will quit Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, hats off to first responders, man. Oof. Yeah, so the final funny thing, um, it, this is extremely creepy, so trigger warning. Um, I just think it's hilarious because it's the only time that I picked up somebody like that's been in this position. Oh, I, I know what um, you're going to say. <laughs> so when, when you know, you have, you know, like, when you, when I die, like, <laughs> <laughs> I want to go out this way. I want to go out that way. Um, a lot of delete my browser history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot. Of, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they joke about if I go out, I'm going to go out mm-hmm. having sex. I'm going to go out with a bang doing yeah. this. And yeah, with a bang, so to speak. And uh, so we get, we get this call to go pick up this person and the person's in their, in their bedroom. I pulled this house and it's a pretty, pretty pretty bad shape 
um, to people and it aren't aren't the uh, best mm-hmm. of character, so to speak, because of the way that they're treat talking to us and stuff like that. I'm already getting a weird vibe, um, but I gotta get I gotta get in there, and get out. So we get in there and said, okay, uh, they're like, okay, it's been the back room. We always go and measure up the room beforehand to see our cotton stuff like this. But because of the awkwardness, I was like, let's just get it and get in here. We'll do a carry. He, they say he's small. So we did not go in the room first. Um, we, we go out, get the cot, bring it in the house, sit it in the front room, lower it, do everything we're supposed to do. And we head back towards the room. When we walk in the room, me and my coworker stopped dead in our tracks. And the reason why is because in this guy's room, from the baseboard of the floor to the top of the ceiling, the entire ceiling, all f- walls in this entire room were covered in nothing but Selena Gomez <laughs> pictures, murals. Like it was like a collage, like, f- like a trapper oh. keeper folder. Like it was insane. Uh, and I'm like, and, and being so blown away by that, it blew my mind. I didn't even see a body. And then once like we were like unshocked by that, we were like, and then we were like, Oh, the body. And then like, we look, we look in the room and there's a bed and this guy is on the edge of the bed. Like, like if you were sitting up, but his back on the back of the bed, his legs hanging off the rest, you already know. (laughs) Full salute. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, uh, and so I'm like, this is, I was like, and I was like, I said to my coworker, I was like, bro, this is weird. Let's get this shit done. I mean, it was lightning fast. Boom, 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 yep. boom. Lift him up, put him over there. Um, as we're wrapping him in the sheet, doing what we need to do, um, I hear a rustle and like, like a shuffle in the corner. I'm like, I like, I, I look up and this room's kind of like dark, uh-huh. like dimly lit, like one lamp. And like, I look up and look over. I'm like, and I go, oh my God. And there's this dude, tall, lanky guy in shorts and a black shirt, just standing there with his arms to his side. And like in this shadow, just staring at us. <laughs> and I go, and then I, I, I go, what is your deal? And then he's like, are you removing the body now? I was like, and I just look at my car. I was like, let's get the fuck out of here. It was so weird. Uh-huh. So weird. And we get a lot. I mean, like I said, you see all walks yeah. of life. So you come in some weird shit. Um, yeah. So I guess it's funny. Like I look at it now. I'm like, damn, that was so weird. But it was funnier and shit. I yeah, I remember when you called, I think, me after that happened and you're just like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> you're never gonna believe this yeah. shit. And like and you wrap him in the sheet to kinda like protect his dignity, right? Like you don't want to walk him out of the house with Yeah with what's going on down there. Yeah. Cause if you ha if you can't get the cot next to the bed or the mm-hmm. couch or wherever they're at or whatever, um, you have to, you mm-hmm. know, transport either carry or do a sheet carry. We have also have like a hard yeah. back thing, stuff like that. So, but most of the time we, yeah, they're covered in a sheet or a blanket to protect dignity and, and to, um, and to soak up slash keep body that. fluids <laughs> together and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, so for sure. Fuck man. Oh, all right. So, Steve, uh, what's the grossest thing that's uh, happened to you? All right. So here we are talking about trigger warnings. I have to give myself one. This is the most insane thing that's ever happened to me. Still traumatizing to this day. And it's completely changed our calls from this incident. 
I'm sitting at the Old Town Warren with Sean, Chad, mm. a bunch of people, uh, and my girlfriend, and we're watching uh, one of the, uh, one groovy yeah. movie or something like that. And like I'm really stoked, and you know, it happened to be they were out of town, so I had to cover this shift, even though I was supposed yeah. to be off on Mondays, and I was pissed because we got this call. So I leave to go to the call, and we get to the call. We get to the cop, and the cop comes in. He's like, hey, this is a hoarder house, which isn't – it's it's crazy. I hate hoarding, but, like, it's doable. But it also depends on what the fuck they're hoarding. Oh, no. And unfortunately, fucking collected pee and shit. When I say this person put his piss and his shit in every single container available – I mean that. I'm talking soda cans that were cut up to put in there, laundry bottles, like them big tup, uh, big storage bin that uh-huh. you buy from Walmart. I'm everything, cups, plates, anything that could hoard this. It was the most disgusting shit I've ever seen in my life. Add that on top of filth oh. and hoarding trash. Everywhere you walk is an IDE. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. It it, it was it's it was the smell was I mean it was so bad like we had to keep going outside not to puke but to just like get fresh air because we were gonna pass out from the ammonia. Wow, it was so the crazy. Ammonia, is that what you said? Um, shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I shouldn't shouldn't say shit. It was. Yeah. It was, wow. It was crazy, mm. man. So with with that, you know, um, uh, <laughs> this person was also three hundred fifty pounds. And moving that through that with all that trash, it's it's impossible. Yeah. So when you're in that situation, you have to drag a person out out of their house through the trash, wade through it onto a flat piece yeah. of ground, which is usually outside. And nine times out of ten, a hoarder is naked. Really? And there's nothing there's nothing we yeah, can do about sure. it. Yep. Every hoarder I picked up has been naked. I don't know what it is, but it's just a thing. And uh, a lot of times we have to do that. Like you have to drag the person out because there's nowhere to yeah. load them up at. And, you know, we do our best to give them, you know, cover them and stuff like that. But sometimes it doesn't work. Um, this day was miserable. I have dress pants on and dress shoes. They are completely soaking from head to toe uh-huh. with shit and piss. My feet and my legs are on fire from the, from the piss. Like I thought I was going to have an yeah. infection. Like I went to the I went to the doctor and and got tested and all this shit, and um, it was miserable. Like and they were out of town on vacation and I had enough and like I, I didn't like later that day I quit. I was like fuck this, because um, you know and and once you know they came back they knew what happened. Now we don't if if we go to a call and it's something like that where we don't feel comfortable going in we don't go in. Oh wow yeah like, good for simple. you man we'll, yeah we we will pass on the call. We have that option. We have that luxury because we are a service. They call us to do their work. The funeral home don't want to do. So we have that luxury of saying, "Yeah, no, you do it," or call mm-hmm. another service. Um, so that's nice that my that my bosses stick sure, up for us yeah. on that stuff. Uh, it was, I mean, it, it was it was crazy. It is definitely the grossest thing. Wow. And I mean, I've been, I've been around. And done some crazy uh-huh. calls. Um, I noticed that 
that's not a question that you ask. So I'll just interject that here. Um, and I won't get into too many details on it, but some of the calls that I've done really early in the job, uh, they were uh-huh. on vacation. Crazy shit always happens when they go on vacation. Oh, yeah. When uh, your boss is gone, that's when shit goes down. Yeah, every yeah. Time. And yeah. in this field, you know, and uh, you have to get away <laughs> because sure. you just – you have to take time for some. I mean, I've done more vacation-y stuff in the past year than I've done in a long time because you have to take that – you have to take that time. Um, yeah. So they go on vacation a lot. And, yeah, like I said, when <laughs> they do, stuff happens. Uh, that call was a – train call we got coordinates go there and it's a train somebody tried to stop a train with their body doesn't work so that was crazy picking seeing that very early on seeing the evidence Mm -hmm. markers and being told you have to pick up this piece this piece this piece that's wild um unfortunately you know it doesn't happen a lot but um transporting children it sucks um, another yeah. one was a car accident out towards Leon again, um, Eureka area. Uh, two cars had been passing by on this like bridge. I, 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 after I leave the call, I don't really follow up on it and stuff like that. Usually most of the time. Um, they somehow had collided and one went one way and one went the other. And one was completely fired up like it was on fire and mm-hmm. You know, you have the Beetlejuice smoking man sitting there. It's wild. Oh, wow. And and then you have uh, another person that's in two. And they're, they told me to bring two body bags. So I thought I was picking up two people. But I'm like, the call only said one name. Uh-huh. That tells you what you need to know. And that's like a 3 a.m. in the morning. So it's like you got you get woke up out of dead sleep yeah. to go do that shit. It's wild yeah so and there i mean there's there's so many calls that i go on um a lot a lot of them the ones that are like crazy calls is like sometimes we get uh you know you're around people during a very sensitive time um you you work with different cultures different walks of life some people can be overzealous some people can be overly emotional some people can be really quiet and you get creeped out by them. So you always have to be on your toes and watch out for like violence, warning signs, red flags, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I've had some close calls. You know, I've been in the, I've been in the middle of um, being attacked racially and mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's the most weirdest, awkward shit. And I feel so yeah. bad for people that have had to deal with that their whole life. And it, yeah, we, we, I mean, we don't have to go too deep into it, but I remember you calling after that happened. And that is, it is sad, man, because yeah. you have culture and you have, I mean, 150 years of culture mm-hmm. on both sides, you know, and um, trying to do the right thing and yeah. get and, caught in the middle of it. Yeah. And I mean, and right now with everything going on in our country and our world, like yeah, everybody's uneasy. There's a lot of civil and racial stuff that's just on, on the nose and on everybody's mind. And like, so it gets kind of crazy, but yeah. um I mean, violence, guns, threats, like it, it happens. So like, it's just, yeah. it's just weird to think that every, literally every call is different. I mean, except for like the hospice, hospital, morgue, that's all the same shit. But like going to house yeah. calls. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's all, it's awkward. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you never know what you're going to go into. Jesus, man. 
which is why sometimes I get a call at one in the morning <laughs> from you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just decompressing a little bit, which honestly, like jokes aside, I do appreciate you calling, you know, because that's some of that stuff you've had to get out. Yeah, that's, you know, it's pretty intense. And I'm, I'm the, I'm the safe space and the morbidly curious person who, you know, I'll, I'll never judge when you call me and tell me some of the shit that you've come across because fuck. Yeah. That's why people go to, uh, you know, confession. <laughs> you can't keep stuff inside, you know. All right, that's a great place to hit the pause button for now. I just want to say again, thanks, Steve, for sitting down and talking to Preston and I about this and kind of sharing uh, intimately what you do for a living now as a mortuary driver. Now, next episode, we will conclude the interview we had with Stephen. But for now, if you're on the social medias, you know the drill. Please give us a follow on Instagram, PXL Paranormal. If you're on Facebook, check us out, the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. We're also on YouTube. Check that out. We're up to 171 listeners. Pretty exciting stuff. And if you have a beard, know a beard, or want to grow a beard, please check out BigDobsBeardBomb.com. Use our promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your entire order. And if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at the CD Trade Post, Pawnee, and Seneca. On behalf of Preston and Stephen, I would like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And for Preston, stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.